Welcome to Asante Church. My name is Alex Dennis. I have the honor of being a pastor here. And I'd like to just start off this morning by sharing a, a quote, a phrase that I have never heard in my life. Maybe you have heard of it, especially if you are a sports fan, especially if you are a football fan. And I would say probably especially, uh, hopefully there's not many of you in here, if you are a Tom Brady fan, okay? <laughs> Go Cowboys. <laughs> the phrase, ah, uh, yeah, come on. All right, the phrase I heard this week is, it's called a winner's discount. And it is something that I cannot get out of my head. And as I read through our text this week, we are in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. This idea of a winner's discount has stuck in my head throughout the entire time I've been studying. And so simply put, a winner's discount is when the star player of the team takes less money so that they can retain good players that they already have by upping their contracts or just holding on to how much money they're already giving them, but also so that you can recruit new talent. And that new talent hopefully will bring more uh, talent, hopefully, to your team, and you will be able to win more games. And most of the time that comes with a star player or two taking a winner's discount. Basically saying, here is the money you said that you were going to give to me, you promised to me. You can take that and give it to these other guys. Because I am going to, out of humility, right, I'm going to make $90,000, or $90 million. I don't think they'd be playing if it was for $90,000. i am going to be making $90 million this season. Here's $5 million. Go get this guy over here straight out of college. Now, this is an idea that is based in humility. And when I heard it, it was in a sports article. And it says, NBA legend LeBron James's new record-breaking contract has been called into question with one American pundit comparing his earnings to NFL great Tom Brady. James, 37, has signed a new two-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers worth $97.1 million, representing a slight increase on his previous per-season salary. Man, these guys are really suffering out there. I don't know what's going on in Los Angeles, but there's a lot of money. The contract also makes him the highest earner in NBA history, surpassing Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant with $532 million in guaranteed career wages. But, and then this is where they list the person that wrote this. Hopefully this doesn't just discredit all of this for you. I know for a lot of you it will. But broadcaster Skip Bayless who has long been among James's most outspoken critics, lamented the extension when he compared it to Brady's earnings. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback retired earlier in the year, only to announce his comeback 40 days later. Good move there, really boosts the PR for you there, Tom Brady. He said LeBron will make $200 million more than Brady in two fewer seasons. That is because Brady took, here it is, a winner's discount to make his team better fumed Fox Sports host Bayless. So did Tim Duncan, his last four years in the league, 10 million, 10 million, 10 million, 6 million. Billionaire Braun, almost 50 million in 2020 and 2021. To quote Bayless again, Lakers, no shot. Congrats, King. <laughs> now, I don't know where you stand on Braun James. Um, maybe you stand where I do. I, I think he, he, good job, man. That's great. Lakers are still going to lose, all right? It doesn't matter, okay? Um, Tom Brady, he knows some things about winning some championships um, with and without Bill Belichick, but, uh, you know, who knows what they're going to do this year. I really, this is, this is the year for the Cowboys, just like every year is, and so <laughs> I'm a man that's full of faith, and I'm going to remain that way. 
what we see in this is that there are very expensive, yet less expensive ways to win Super Bowls. There are very, very expensive ways to lose NBA championships. And all of this is dealing with millionaires in professional sports, and it gets a little hyperbolic, it gets a little inflated, but the essence of truth still remains. This idea of a winner's discount still remains. We see it in our lives as we walk with Jesus. So in our lives, we see that winning for the church means for us to remain unified with each other in God. That's what we're focusing on this morning. We are focusing on unity and how humility brings unity. We realize that winning in our personal lives means to love God and to love other people, growing in our unity with him, growing in our unity with each other. But in order for us to win, in our lives, in our walks with Jesus, we have to take this winner's discount. And in order for us to take this winner's discount, we have to put God first. And when we put God first, then we start to put others before ourselves. What does all this have to do with? All of this is centralized around one idea, and that is the idea of humility. It all takes place within humility. So what happens if we don't let humility take hold in our lives? When we don't let humility take hold in our lives, in our walks with Jesus, we see that pride comes in and it destroys. So let's think about it. Let's think about the church. We have the relationships that we've built up here in Jesus, in humility, putting others' needs before our own. What happens when pride steps into the picture? Those relationships gone, obliterated, because now I am more important than you. What happens to the church that God planted in the community to reach the community? All the impact that church had, gone. Because now it is focused within itself. It is insular. It is not focused on the community around it. It is not focused on the lives that God has called us to impact with the hope and the truth of the gospel. Nobody wants to be a part of a church that is focused on itself, that is filled with its own drama. What about our marriages? the relationships that are supposed to bring us closer to God. We say often here, marriage is about making you more holy, not making you more happy. There will be days of happiness, but marriage is supposed to make you more like Jesus. Well, marriages, those relationships, that trust gone when we, out of selfishness, make it about ourselves and make it about our spouses serving us over us serving our spouses. And let's play that out. What does that look like in the long, in the long term? That looks like a marriage becoming a roommate agreement. And maybe not even a roommate agreement, maybe just separation. And it all starts with just a little seed of pride. So we turn to humility. What about our minds? We're going to see here that Paul tells us to have the mind of Christ. What happens when pride takes over our minds? We see that we become fractured in our focus, fractured in our direction, because we have taken Jesus off of his throne. And we have placed ourselves and our own preferences, our own wants and our own desires up on that throne. And we start worshiping them, worshiping ourselves instead. How could we not? Everything in society is geared towards us worshiping ourselves. Look at the pandemic of social media. Everything in your life is about posting something so that you can get instant feedback, instant gratification, more likes, more shares, more tweets, more loves, uh, more hug emojis with a little heart, make you feel all warm inside. 
And maybe, maybe you never post anything on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, all the new things that I'm too old to even think of right now. Snapchat, is that still a thing? Okay, one person under 20 in here. Okay, sweet. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Even if you just get on and scroll, everything about it is designed to cater to you, your wants, your needs, your desires, picking up on your conversations, figuring out what they need to sell to you. So, if that is the problem, the lack of humility within the church, if pride being bolstered up is the problem, then what is the solution? The solution is we have got to take the winner's discount. We have got to choose humility time and time again. We have got to choose other people over ourselves. If we don't, we will never have a shot at the victory that we see in humility. So this morning, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 is where we're going to start off. If not, it will be up here on the screen. If you have your phones, bust them out. This is going to be good. Paul writes, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So what is the purpose of humility? What is the purpose of humility in the church? What is the purpose of humility in this church and in our lives? First point this morning is that humility brings unity. Humility brings unity. And I love the way Paul starts off here with sarcasm. I've never seen sarcasm uh, bring unity in my life. Uh, it's oftentimes sarcasm that brings disunity and uh, arguments and people not really being able to read into what you're actually meaning. But Paul is using it here as a little literary exercise once again. So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul, being sarcastic, there are absolutely these things. These are the things of Jesus. These are the things of Jesus' followers. So because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort and love, because there is participation in the Spirit, and any affection and sympathy, then there is verse 2. And that is that in unity, we are all together different. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, when Paul says being a full accord and one mind here, what he is saying is that we are to be different, but we are to be together. That idea of being a full accord, you could think of a beautiful symphony. Now, the only symphony I've ever listened to in person was on a fourth grade field trip, but I remember it like it was yesterday. The first 15 minutes was just sensory overload for a little ADD kid like me. The next 45 minutes was the best sleep I've ever gotten in my entire life. <laughs> but that first 15 minutes, though, it was awesome. You think of the church as a symphony, We've got our instruments over here. I'm not a musician. I could start naming instruments, but they're not going to be a part of a symphony. Um, our banjos, our man, no, it just doesn't work like that. 
we have all of these different sections of these different instruments playing their own different parts that are all part of the same song because they're all part of the same orchestra being conducted by the same person. And that is a beautiful thing. All jokes aside, that is a beautiful thing to take in, especially if it's well-practiced, especially if it's done well. And that is the church. All types of different people coming together beautifully, following the lead of Jesus, humbly serving one another, and moving forward to advance the gospel. You could think of it as an artist. It's a little bit easier for me. You think that you have a canvas, and you have all these different kinds of paints. Now think if you only had one shade of blue, and it wasn't any brighter or darker. It was just one shade of blue. It would be very hard to make something beautiful with just one shade of blue, opposed to an artist that has a full palette. And that's who we are as the church. We are different paints on one palette, controlled and given direction by one artist to make one thing that is absolutely beautiful. But if you're not really a fine arts person in here, I can understand that as well. I think I could also put it like this. There was the other day, me and Jacob, we went to Dunkin' Donuts, all right? Um, And we were going to get just all the donuts. Uh, Not for ourselves, I mean, preface. We were getting all the donuts for Desert Oasis Elementary School because we've been supporting this school, Asante Preparatory Academy, for, goodness, like three years now. And we've said, hey, God has grown the church to the point where resources are here. We can start supporting another church or another school in our community. And so what better way to do that? First day of school, get the teachers all sugared up, get them all caffeinated, and send them after those kids, all right? So we went to Dunkin' Donuts. Rachel placed the order two days before because she's the responsible one in this whole thing. And we get there, and they're like, hey, we didn't get the donuts. I'm like, okay. Um, we're picking them up for the church, so we can't really make a big fuss about that, right? Um, hey, we'll just take whatever donuts you can give us just as long as it's the same amount. And so we get all of these glazed donuts, all these chocolate donuts, and then they start handing out these assorted donuts. And once again, like a symphony, like an, a masterful artist, if you just have a beautiful assorted box of donuts, I mean, that's the church right there, okay? <laughs> You've got this box of circular fried carbohydrates just covered in sugar. Some of them are chocolate, some of them are vanilla, some of them are pink. And I don't really think pink is strawberry. I'm not really sure what flavor pink is, uh, but I can appreciate it nonetheless. Some are filled with raspberry, some are filled with lemon, some are filled with Bavarian cream, and they're shaped different. And I just, I love donuts, and I get really passionate (laughs) about donuts. Some of them have nuts on top of them, and that's certainly like the church, because some of you are a little bit crazier than others. And it's beautiful. And I could really relate to this box of donuts and think, man, no better illustration for the church. Here we are, all different. Maybe the same shape, maybe not. Maybe the same color, maybe not. Maybe the same cultural background, maybe not. But coming together in Jesus with one purpose. And that's a much different purpose than those donuts served that day. If you think about it, we are all together different. I have my own strengths, my own weaknesses. You have your own strengths, your own weaknesses. You have your own experiences. I have my own experiences, both in Jesus and in trauma. We have our own spiritual giftings, which is so beautiful. By the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, when you give your life to the Lord, you are given different gifts of the Spirit than I am. And I think that is absolutely beautiful. And in all of it, no matter what illustration you want to cling on to, in all of it, we are not complete unless we are together. 
So as the church, we have to strive for unity. And if we're going to strive for unity, then that means we have to strive for humility. Because in humility, it is not about me, it is all about you. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So because I am in Jesus, that means Jesus is greater than me. And if I am in Jesus and Jesus is greater than me, then that means you are greater than me as well. All right, this is the church taking care of its own. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest. Sure, you will look to your own interest, but don't only look to those, but also to the interest of others. As Andy Stanley says about marriage, this is a submission competition, right? My needs should always be met by other people meeting them. Your needs should always be met within the church by other people meeting them. Maybe not 100% of the time. Maybe it's just 90% of the time because you don't want church people around 100% of the time. Trust me, that gets a little janky as well. Our needs are always met by each other. And this is what true community looks like. This is what we are fighting for as a church in 2022 to live a life that isn't just isolated behind a keyboard, that doesn't just sit behind a screen and say, I'm a part of community because I'm your friend on this social media platform. No, we want to be a part of each other's lives. We want to live in community. That means in relationship with one another in the life of this church. And so as a church, we have set that up to where you can take place in that. You can take part in it. We have set it up like a funnel. And so if you want relationship in your life, if you want community, then that means that we have to embrace humility and embrace unity. And if you are going to embrace those things, then I want to ask you to take advantage of the church and how we have things set up. Now you can think of relationships within the church like a funnel. You've got Sunday morning experience where we come together and we worship Jesus and we talk to each other awkwardly for five minutes before we come in and then we talk to each other awkwardly as we leave and eventually that doesn't get awkward. You know what was awkward? When I first wrote a note to Rachel asking her to be my boyfriend or her girl. <laughs> Hold please. We will need to edit that out. <laughs> asking her to be my girlfriend in eighth grade. See it was awkward right? And then eventually you move past that awkwardness. That's how every good relationship has been in my life. And so let the awkward happen. Embrace the awkward here on a Sunday morning. And if you're a boy, don't ask anybody to be your boyfriend, okay? <laughs> and don't pass notes either. But it moves past that. If it was just Sunday morning, we would have a very shallow church, very relationally shallow church. It might be four miles wide, but it would be six inches deep. I would ask you then to take it a little bit further in the funnel, that you would embrace life together outside of the church, and that you would use home groups to do that, that you would say, a life of unity is worth it, because a life of uni unity brings about gospel advancement. And so I would ask that you would humble yourself and embrace a little bit more awkwardness and embrace home groups, to dive into a group so that when something goes down in your life, you have a group of people to rally around you. If the best relationships you have in your life are here and it's come and go on a Sunday morning, you are a very lonely and isolated person. And that is the last thing I want as your pastor. I want you to live a life that is deep, of relationships that bring joy. But in order for that to happen, sometimes you've got to stick your neck out. And it doesn't even end at home groups. Now we get all the way down to the funnel and to what comes out. 
And I would ask that you would find somebody in your home group, somebody that you really hit it off with and say, hey, I want to live life alongside of you. Somebody that you can call in the middle of the night. Somebody that you can go to lunch with when everything in life falls to pieces. But I would ask that we would embrace unity through humility as a church, that we would go after community and that we would love one another. So here's the full process again. We live different lives. We have different perspectives. We are different people from different places. But when we make other people more important than ourselves, we practice humility. And in humility comes unity. And in unity, we are of the same mind. And that is the mind of Christ. So if humility brings unity, then that leads us to our second point this morning. And that is that pride brings division. Pride brings division. So what does pride look like in our lives? I think pride is often overgeneralized. I think it's a, it's a lot of times super demonized. I remember really starting to follow Jesus in sixth grade, and we moved from uh, kind of just suburbatory uh, in Plano, Texas, to uh, the first town in East Texas, and that was a little place called Forney, Texas. And if you know anything about East Texas, these towns take their football very seriously. Uh, They have a lot of uh, team pride, and so here I am kind of really taking Jesus serious. I uh, I know all the sins that you shouldn't take part in. I'm starting to learn all the things that you should just stay away from, but I know for sure, without a doubt, that pride is a sin. And so when we move to Forney, Texas, and all I hear in middle school, because we're all starting to play football for the first time, is jackrabbit pride. Our mascot was the jackrabbit, y'all, okay? <laughs> um, I, was, I was coming from a place where my mascot either would have been a wildcat or a panther. Like, those are jungle cats, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's big cat power right there. Those things are eating and destroying and clawing everything. And I'm moving to a place and I'm supposed to have school pride over a jackrabbit? Jackrabbits don't even live in the jungle. Like Jackrabbits, I don't even think they live in forests. Jackrabbits live in meadows and <laughs> prairies. And so what do they do to make this guy big and strong and more fierce so people will fear this little rabbit that's coming to eat all their carrots. They just have all these drawings of them just juiced up, ready to rip people's helmets off. And so I was like, okay, first of all, it's really hard to have school pride, but also, if I'm correct, school pride is a sin. So mom, I don't know if we can do this. Maybe I should be homeschooled. That would have been a nightmare for her, for sure. Glad you didn't make that choice, mom. (laughs) But I'm figuring it out. And what I've come to learn and especially now that I've matured in my walk with Jesus, is that having pride in something, not always uh, a sin. But when you have pride in something and it takes the place of Jesus in your life, well, that priority, that thing that you are taking pride in becomes an idol. And idolatry is always sin. Now, having pride about yourself, being an arrogant person, that never works out well. And we will dive into that. But we have to first look at what pride can look like for us. And I think within this context of Paul explaining that you need to stay humble, you need to seek unity, we can really take out of it that pride can look like opposition to community, especially within the church. Pride can look like, I myself, I am greater than you. And this can look like forsaking to gather together. This can look like, in simpler terms, just skipping out on church, right? We're we're busy people. We've got sports, we've got Little League, we've got our jobs, we've got sleep we've got to catch up on, we've got just convenience, we've got all kinds of things we need to just stream and binge. And it could be just the day of, 
reasons we're skipping church. It could be from the night before. It could be the fun. It could be the late night. It could be the lack of making church a priority on Sunday morning. I've heard from a lot of pastors lately that church Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. But ultimately, what all these boil down to is our interests over others. So what I want to do is greater than any need that you might have of me on Sunday morning or any need that you might have of me at home group or any need that you might have of me when your life is falling apart and you need to meet. This looks a lot of different ways. It may look like showing up late to a service if you do show up. It may look like leaving early. It may look like holding your Saturday is more important to everybody else's and forsaking relationship, forsaking community. I also want to give a disclaimer on this. In our lives, there will be Sundays you miss church. There will be Sundays you show up late. We've got kids. I know what that's like. There will be Sundays that you have to leave early. And I'm not speaking towards that. But what I am speaking towards is when these things become a habit. Because when these things become a habit, these things become an idol. And if we value our time and our Sundays so much more than everyone else, then we are not working towards the unity and humility that Paul is calling us to within Philippians 1, 2, 1 through 4. So, next thing. Pride can look like selfish, ambition, or conceit. I want to start in the obvious, right? I want to talk about arrogance. The person with high esteem. This person is the winner. They know they're the winner. They're going to tell you that you're, they're the winner. And this person is going to have this mindset of, I should be served. But I would say that's one side of the spectrum. I would say there's also another side of the spectrum, and that is the insecure person, the person with a low self-esteem. If the arrogant person is a winner, this person would be considered the loser or at least consider themselves to be a loser. The insecure person, a boosted sense of self due to one's lack of accomplishment. Now, remember, or take note, that it is still a boosted sense of oneself prideful person, the arrogant person, says, I should be served. The insecure person, they have a mindset of, I should be used. Now, why are both of these a boosted sense of self? It's because both of these are prideful, because both of these aspects hold your view of yourself higher than the view that God has of you. And both of them are completely preoccupied with self and completely dismissive of God. God does not say you should be served. God says you should be serving. God does not say you should be used. God says you should be serving. God does not say you are the greatest creation ever. God does also not say you are the lowest creation ever. What God does say is you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And you need to work out of that identity. Get that in check. And then come up with what you think of yourself. And then serve others out of that identity. So, what do I do to get humble? I think... A lot of us A-types in here, we can, we can think of pride and a lack of humility in our lives as something we just got to knock out, right? That's just another checkoff box on the list. All right, I'm prideful. Man, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to go knock out this pride. I'm going to be the most humble person you've ever met. And then everybody I meet, I'm going to tell them how humble I am. And I'm going to stop bragging, and I'm just going to humble brag all the time. That's not humility. That's, that's called being annoying, okay? Don't do that. Instead of trying to look at yourself to fix the problem that you already are, you've already gotten yourself in this position of being prideful or in this position of being insecure, instead of focusing inwardly, because that's how we got here, instead take your eyes off yourself and put them on Jesus. You want to be more humble? 
focus on being like Jesus. Don't focus on being a better version of you. That is self-righteousness, and that is anti-gospel. Allow Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to well up inside of you and change who you are. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have the same mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all names. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our third and final point this morning as we close out is that humility is realized in Jesus. Humility is realized in Jesus. And it is only fully realized in Jesus. And that is because our king took the ultimate winner's discount. We can break this down throughout these verses. We see in Jesus' life, as we focus on him to become more humble ourselves, we see in Jesus, in verse 6, was sacrifice. Jesus gave up his place in heaven to come down to be with us, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. No, he sacrificed everything, so that he could become nothing. The second thing we see in Jesus' life, in verse 7, humility. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus should have been a king. He should have been in a palace, in a castle. He should have had servants. But instead, he lived a lowly life where he lifted, himself, lifted others up because he lowered himself so low should have been a king, became a servant. Third thing we see in Jesus' life is submission. Jesus was obedient to God. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He did not stick around in heaven to argue with God the best place to save God's creation. No, he offered himself up. And then we come back to suffering, as we do time after time again in the book of Philippians, and we see the suffering of our Savior. Jesus was willing to suffer. But not only was he willing to suffer, but he was willing to suffer until the point of death. Verse 8, obedient to the point of death, even the worst, most horrendous death on the face of this planet, and that was death on a cross. In his humility, in his suffering, in his sacrifice, we received his victory. We got the W. We get to wear the ring we get the banner dropped. 2022-2023 division champs, state champs, Super Bowl champs. Not because of anything that we did, but because of our king, because of our star player. And so if we are going to inherit the ring, if we are going to inherit the victory, that means that we need to be on the team. And if we're going to be on the team, then that means we need to know the plays. If we need to know the plays, that means we need to be wearing the jersey so they'll hand the ball off to us every now and then so we don't get tackled by our own teammates, so we can catch the pass. So if we are going to be on the team, that means we need to look like our team captain. That means we need to look like Jesus, the one who made the ultimate winner's sacrifice for us. So when we look at our lives, 
We have to look at the same aspects that we just saw in Jesus, and that is sacrifice. Jesus gave up his place in heaven. What am I willing to sacrifice for somebody else? Am I willing to sacrifice my time? You know, relationships take a lot of time. Am I willing to sacrifice my energy to see things come to an end at the church, to see needs met in my community and in the relationships that we build here? Am I willing to sacrifice my finances to see the gospel advance, to see ends meet, to see needs met? And then we get to humility. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. What's your outlook on humility? You can look at this church. Are you at a place of serving? Are you at a place of receiving? And then leaving. You can look at your marriage. I'd say be bold. Ask your spouse when you leave this place today. Do I expect you to serve me more than I serve you? How am I doing humbly serving you? I think you might be pleasantly surprised if you're not. Think Jesus going to work in our hearts, making us more like him. That means we will become more humble. This isn't us just putting in work to become better people. This is us submitting our lives to Jesus to look more like him. And I think as you look more like him in your marriage, your marriage will get stronger. I think the same for our kids. I think our kids will notice there's a difference because now we're not just yelling at them because they're being a frustration to us. But now we're able to get present. We're able to get down on our knees on their level, in their world, love them where they are. There's also submission. Jesus was obedient to God. I think a lot of us are willing to submit X amount of our lives to God just so we get that little feeling and then we kind of just back out. That was enough for me. I went to church this week. I'm good now. I don't think God just wants a little bit of us. I think he wants all of us. So what is it that you're holding back from God? Is it the pet sin that you've been harboring all these years? You've been hiding from everybody else, but it's been thriving in your life, growing and growing and growing. One day it will overtake you. Is it just a little bit of trust, a little bit of faith you're holding back from him? Is it your anxiety? This is my worry, not yours, God. I don't want you to worry about my worry. That doesn't make a lot of sense. God wants to take care of you. Share with him the things that make you anxious, make you stressed out, that make you worried. What about about your identity? Is it placed in being a beloved son and a beloved daughter? It's not. It needs to be surrendered. What about the fullness of of your resources, that God has entrusted to you. Have you handed those over? Say, Jesus, use this to advance your kingdom, to advance your gospel, to meet the needs of others. And then there's our favorite, what we seem to end on week after week, and that is suffering and sacrifice. Jesus was willing to suffer to the point of death. How much am I willing to suffer for his sake? Am I just willing to worship on a Sunday and then go to work Monday and act like I never spent any time with him? Am I willing to worship on a Sunday and then go out and live like the rest of the world Friday night, Saturday night, pretend I don't even have a relationship with him? I don't even know who this guy is. Am I holding back from other people in fear of rejection? Am I just camouflaging myself, hoping nobody else will realize that I'm a believer and oppose me? And then the same question we asked ourselves last week, am I actually suffering? Am I having to pretend to suffer? I think coming to grasp with, have I ever actually suffered for Jesus at all? See, I think when it comes down to it, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to take 
a winner's discount for the sake of unity? Am I holding back on others for my sake, for myself? So if I am, this is going to be the detriment of unity in your life. This will be the detriment of relationships within your life. This will be the downfall of a church community that needs to be loving, needs to be thriving as we love others out of the love we have received from Jesus. But there's another option, and that option is, am I putting others' needs before my own to boldly move forward in the victory of unity within the church? When Paul wrote this to the Philippians, he was in an assumption that they were on the good side of this. And I want you to know as your pastor, it is an awesome place to stand here and be able to say, I believe most of us are moving forward selflessly, in humility. Let's continue to do that for the sake of Jesus, for the advancement of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, pray this morning that you would bring unity to our church even more so than you have already done. That we would continue to live lives that are humble and out of being humble that strive for unity even more, not by our own strength, not by our own accord, but in the power of the Spirit that you have indwelled within us. Jesus, I pray, especially in this age and by the influence of our culture that you would keep us from being self-centered. That you wouldn't let our pride destroy what you have created here. That we would not give the enemy a foothold and even start to allow us to think that we are more important than our brothers and sisters. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate example of humility. We pray this morning that you would help us to follow that example. In Jesus' name, amen.